It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
next song comes from the book of Hebrews. So if you don't have yet 
a copy of our songbook yet, which we're working on. We are working on getting songbooks sent to everybody. So, but in the meantime, you can turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, if you don't have a songbook. Hebrews, chapter 4, this song comes from there. So you can try to read along with us in the Bible. In Hebrews, chapter 4, and this comes from verses 14 to 18. Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 18. Now, this ain't going to match exactly word by word, but it will come close to it. Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 18. Four fourteen. Have a great high priest, a priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we, in all things yet without sin. Therefore, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and make my grace to help in time of need. Thus, therefore, draw near with confidence Those verses in Hebrews 4 talks about us drawing near to Christ with confidence, with boldness, boldness, that we can come to the throne of grace in time of need. And that is very, very important. All of us have sinned. Every one of us has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are humans. We all make mistakes. But when we make those mistakes, when we sin by accident, by mistake, when we slip, when we fall, we can crawl to the throne, beg for mercy. But not only can we crawl to the throne and beg for mercy? But we can also approach in boldness, not crawling. We can also approach in confidence and boldness and not in fear and not shrinking back, 
but approach the throne, according to Hebrews 4, in confidence, in boldness, knowing that he is God of love, God of mercy, God of grace, our kinsman, redeemer, our daddy, Abba, Father. And that's very important. Amen. Even though we do fear God, and fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, we also also must eventually come to know him as Daddy, Abba, Father, and be able to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, let's see what song that we should sing next. Let's do page 10. And if you don't have a copy of the songbook, you can turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 57. And this song is from the Bible, Psalm chapter 57. And this won't match maybe uh, word by word, but very close to it. Psalm 57, verses 7 through 11. Psalm 57, verse 7 through 11. Page 10 is called, My Heart is Steadfast, O God. Steadfast, O God, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. My heart is steadfast, O God. Awake, my glory. Awake, heart and lyre. Awake, my glory. Awake, heart and lyre. I will awake in the dawn. I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among among the peoples. I will sing praises to thee, O Lord, among among the nations. The loving kindness is great to the heavens, and my truth is great to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God, O God. Let our glory be above all the earth. My heart is steadfast, O God, O God, my heart is steadfast. I was singing, yes, I was singing praises. My heart is steadfast, O God. Awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. Awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among among the peoples. I sing praises to thee, O Lord, among among the nations. Do 
one more song before we go into prayer and then the sermon. This is song 121. And if you have a copy of the songbook, it's page 12. Song 121. station over here closer to the pulpit and then we will go in prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, in the wonderful and good and awesome name of Jesus Christ we pray. Thank you Heavenly Father for a new day. Thank you for getting us through this week. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for saving more souls. Thank you for baptizing people in your spirit. 
and in your power, in your love, mercy, and grace. Thank you, Father, for what you've been doing. Thank you, Father, that you have saved four more people this month and probably others around the world that we do not even know about. The earth is yours and the inhabitants thereof. We are your people. We are your church. We are your congregation, your bride, and your children. We are your family. And we are here today, Father, to worship you and to hear your instruction. We need, Father, to understand the scriptures better. We need the truth, not lies, not deceptions, not people's opinions, not the denominations and religions of mankind and their opinions and their doctrines, but we won't and we need the truth, Father. And we ask for it so that we may receive it. Father, please help all of us, and especially new people, to open up our hearts to the truth, to be willing and able to deeply examine ourselves and to not just assume that we already know all things. Help us, Father, to not be in the spirit of pride and stubbornness and rebellion and stiff-neckedness, to think that we already know everything, but rather that we would have hearts of wanting correction and alignment to the truth, that we would be willing to humble ourselves and examine deeply ourselves and examine the scriptures daily to see if these things be true. What is the truth, Father? Let us not be blinded anymore. Help us to come all the way out of Babylon. Help us, Father, hear your word today and to feel your spirit, to feel your presence, and that your presence would wash out all the darkness and all the lies, all the deceptions and all the fairy tales. All those things be pressed aside and cast asunder and be replaced by your spirit of truth and your power and your will, your presence in us and in this congregation worldwide. Through the blood of Jesus, through the power and spirit of Jesus, and in the name of Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Praise Jesus. Let's turn in the Bible to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. And in case you might be listening for the first time, or even if not, I do encourage everyone. Please give me time in this sermon to expound upon the scriptures, to share with you scriptures from Exodus and Deuteronomy, Romans, Timothy, and 1 John, 
different places throughout the Bible, Old and New Testaments, to get the full picture. Too many churches, too many pastors would give you just two or three verses in the same chapter and not search the scriptures diligently. When a pastor would give you only a couple of verses, that is a red flag for man's opinions, man's doctrines, religious denominations of mankind. In the times of the temple, Old Testament, and at the times when Jesus walked on the earth, when people went to the synagogue or to, or to the temple, they heard many, 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 many scriptures. They would read tons of scriptures on the seventh day and on all the holy days. And then you knew that he was getting the word of God and not man's word. It's the opposite today in the majority of the churches of mankind all around the world. We need to hear scripture when you come together to worship the Lord, to hear his word. We need scripture. Upon scripture, upon scripture, upon scripture, so that you know you're hearing the word of God and the truth and not man's made-up doctrines. You're going to hear things today that you probably never heard in your life. And at first, it may seem as if I am deceived and you need to just disconnect from the broadcast. And people will do so. But why is it that the knee-jerk reaction is to completely disconnect and disregard and not listen and not study? Why is that the knee-jerk reaction of people? Because people are programmed, brainwashed, to be honest with you, by their parents, their grandparents, their brothers, their sisters, the local pastor, the cultural religion of their local town, state, and nation. And they are not willing to study deeply and examine deeply to see if these things be true. I ask you that even though at first some of the things I say may not seem right to you because it's not what you have always been programmed to believe, even though that, even though that be the case, I ask you to stay and listen and hear all of the verses and all of the points and all of the principles that I have to share before you make your final conclusion. Even the scriptures say that he that makes a judgment without hearing out the entire case, he is a fool. I ask you to hear out my entire case today. And then, Go in prayer afterwards. And I encourage you to take notes so that you can go back and read these scriptures again over and over and over and pray over these scriptures and if necessary, fast over these scriptures. Seeking the truth. Seek and you shall find. Diligently 
searching for him and his spirit and his truth. For he is seeking a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He is seeking such a people. And I'll tell you the truth, it's very difficult to find. Very, very difficult in this world today to find anyone willing to diligently study the scriptures, prove all things, and obey him in the truth. Because the world is deceived, Revelation 12, verse 9, that Satan has deceived the entire world. It does not say that he has deceived only that religion, one religion, two religions, half of the world's religions, or half of the world's populations. No, but it says, Revelation 12, verse 9, that Satan has deceived the whole world, 100%. People have read that many times, and yet it never, ever took hold. It did not take hold the reality of that verse. The whole world, the whole world is deceived. That is very mind-blowing when you really think about it. Very, very mind-blowing. To knock your socks off, if you really, really contemplate upon that verse, the whole world is deceived. Amen. Today's topic is images and the second commandment. Second commandment out of the Ten Commandments, that thou shalt not have any images. What does this really mean? Is it still intact for us today? Are all images banned, forbidden by God, or only certain ones, or only only if you abuse those images, only if you worship those images? Does it have to be carved? Does it have to be graven? You know, what is the truth on this? Exodus 20, verse 1. Exodus 20, verse 1. Now, we're reading from the Alpha and Omega Bible. And the Alpha and Omega Bible, if you've never heard of that translation, it is a translation that comes from a multitude of agent manuscripts, agent scrolls, including the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Greek Saturian, the translations of the Bible used in the time of Jesus and the apostles. This does not come from the Assyrian aromatic script like the King James does. I realize that most of you have never heard that the King James translation comes from the Assyrian script. I know you've never heard that before. I never heard it taught in any church in my life. I've been to all kinds of different churches. And I never heard that taught in any church. And I don't want you to even believe me when I say it. What I want you to do, what I would want for you to do, is study it to see if it's true, see if it's wrong, see if I'm lying to you or am I telling you the truth. That the King James come from the Assyrian script. We just had Thanksgiving a couple of days ago here in America. Most people don't realize that the pilgrims, when we keep Thanksgiving, 
in memory of the first Thanksgiving of when the pilgrims came over from England, fleeing. People don't understand. People don't remember. It's not taught very much today, especially not taught in the churches in America or England or Australia. That the reason the pilgrims came over is they was fleeing from King James. And they was fleeing from the ancestors of King James. And they was fleeing from King James himself and from the Church of England that had just published the King James Version. The Bible that the pilgrims used more than any other translation was called the Geneva Bible. It's also called now the Pilgrim's Bible. But back then it was called the Geneva Bible. And it came out in English before the King James came out. The Pilgrim's Bible or the Geneva Bible was filled with footnotes speaking against the Catholic Church on almost every page. Many, 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 many notes in that Bible translation. It was a study Bible with the notes speaking out against the Catholic Church, calling the Pope the Antichrist and everything else. The Church of England, even though it had split off from the Catholic Church, was saying at that day and time that they were the true Catholic Church. The Church of England stated that publicly to the people in the nation and to the church and to the Christians that the Church of England is the true Catholic Church. They wasn't just splitting off, but rather making a, a second Catholic Church keeping many, 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 many of the same doctrines, disagreeing on certain things, not keeping all of the doctrines, but keeping the majority of the doctrines, keeping 90%, I would say, I would guess 90% of the doctrines of the Catholic Church, the Church of England kept. It was really not that much different. And they said that they was the new and the true Catholic Church. And they came out with the King James Version to compete with the Geneva Bible, which everybody was using and everybody loved and appreciated. Especially the Protestants, Pilgrims, and the Puritans. They they loved the Geneva Bible because it spoke out against the Catholic Church. But the Church of England said, we cannot have this because we are the Catholic Church. And we agree with the Catholic Church, well, 90% of everything. Therefore, we are going to come out with the King James Version, which is a copy of the Geneva, except without all the notes that speak against the Catholic Church. And the King James Version is almost word by word a copy of the King James, but missing all the notes spoke out against the Catholic Church. The response of the Protestants, the response of the Pilgrims, and the response of the Puritans was outrage. And they refused to accept this new King James Version. And they fled to America in protest against the King James himself and his Bible and his church. 
And for decades, the American new settlers of the American continent refused the King James, said the King James translation was blasphemous and was not the word of God. These were your first Americans. It took many years of the Catholic Church and the Church of England both funding many different brainwashing programs into the American colonies to try to convince the people to accept the King James. It took decades to get the, new, the Americans to accept the translation, as well as quite a few assassinations and everything else that it took to get the people to accept the translation. This is American history that is not taught in the churches. Amen. The Alpha and Omega Bible from which we are reading today is not from the same Assyrian script that actually both of those Bibles came from because they were just copies of one another and was not, was not, contrary to what you have been taught, was not, Geneva was not and King James was not, translated from the original Hebrew and Greek. Absolutely was not history, facts, biblical facts of history blows that myth out of the window that it was translated from the original tongues. It was not. It was not. But this is, the Alpha and Omega Bible is translated from the original tongues. And I can prove it to you, and I have already proven it on the website. And the website is I saw the light ministries.com. I saw the light ministries.com. So here in Exodus 20, when you're reading in King James and other translations where it says the word the Lord in all capital letters, Lord, have you ever asked yourself why the word Lord is in all capital letters? here in Exodus 20 and in other places throughout the Old Testament. Why is it that the word Lord is in all capitals, but none of the other words are? Why? A lot of people wrongfully assume that they put the words Lord in all capitals in order to honor God. But that's not the reason. You do your research, you will find that the documented reason, undeniable, absolutely undeniable, the documented and proven reason that put the words Lord in all capitals in the Old Testament is because it is to let you know that those words replaced, replaced the name of God. God's name. God's name. Not his title, the word Lord, because that's not his name. That's just a title. But his name was originally in the Bible. Moses wrote it, and the prophets wrote it. Jeremiah wrote it, so forth. And it was taken out of the Bible. God's name was taken out of the Old Testament, page by page by page by page by page. God's name was taken out of the Old Testament. 
So when we read from the Alpha and Omega Bible, it's going to say the name Jesus here in Exodus. Even in the Old Testament, it says Jesus. Now, most people say, no, it should say YHWH or Yahweh or Jehovah or something like that. And that's what many different religions and pastors and colleges, so-called experts and websites, would tell you that if we put God's true name back in there, it should be YHWH or Yahweh or Jehovah or something. But where do they get where do they get that information? Where do they get that from? For one thing, tradition. Another thing, uh, Jewish teachings, which rejects Christ. And another thing is from colleges. Religious colleges, similarities, schools, books, and another thing, websites, where all these different million websites claim to be experts on the Hebrew language, and yet they have never actually studied Hebrew themselves. They just got it from somebody else who got it from somebody else who got it from somebody else, and they're just all copying each other's work and assuming that the person that they're learning from knew the truth and then they're like, well, I want to share this, and then they make their own website. Somebody else finds that website, and then they make their own website, and it's just a roller coaster ride of or avalanche of one person relaying what somebody else has said on all these websites about the Hebrew language, but yet none of these people have really studied Hebrew or the history of the Bible or anything else nor have they gone to school in Israel. They don't really know Hebrew, but they claim to be experts. But yet they agree with the college. Well, how can the college be wrong? How can the religious seminary be wrong? What did Revelation 12 verse 9 say? What did Revelation 12 verse 9 say? Satan has deceived the whole world. That would include the college professors, would it not? Would it not include the college professors who are relaying the information to your pastor and then to the congregation and then to these websites and so forth? Amen? I have studied privately, individually, with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, covered under the blood of Jesus, filled with his spirit, I have studied, researched this intently. But I'm not just going by what some pastor or some religion or some person or some web, some website says, but from actual, true study of these languages. So I'm not just repeating what somebody else says. When I have looked and studied into these agent languages, and even heard the voice of God about what his name is. It is Jesus. And if you look at the New Testament, it says Jesus grew out of it. And yet people look, people think that the Old Testament and the New Testament is two different gods. God of the Old Testament with one name, God of the New Testament with a different name. If you believe that Jesus is God, then he does not have a different name. How many gods do we serve? 
Are we pagans? Or are we Christians? We believe in one God, two, three, four, a million. If we believe that Jesus is God, which is what makes us a Christian, if you don't believe Jesus is God, you are not a Christian. And the Bible calls you Antichrist. If you believe that Jesus is God, then that is his name in both the Old and New Testament. And when we look at YHWH, which is chanted by witches and chanted by Freemasons and witches and Catholics, this is the truth. I'm telling you the truth, and I have proven it. Over and over and over and over I have proven it. It is documented. I've got the documented proof on the website. I saw the lightministries.com. I give you pictures of the scrolls. I give you the name of the letters and how they're pronounced. I prove to you undeniably nobody has ever, ever contacted me over the years, over the years, not just days, weeks, and months, but years of me teaching this, having the evidence and the proof on the website, nobody from Israel, nobody who is a college professor, nobody who is a pastor, nobody of anyone has ever, ever, ever contacted me with proof that this is wrong because they cannot do so. Proof is solid. It is solid and undeniable. Absolutely undeniable. Of course, there have been people to contact me and say that it's wrong, but they don't present any evidence or any proof at all. Because they can't. If Jesus is God, he is the same God. He does not change. And there is only one name according to Acts 4, verse 12. Neither, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is scripture. That is scripture. It's not man. That's not religion. That's not college. This is scripture. There's only one name. So it wouldn't be two different names between Old Testament and New Testament. So now let's get back to the sermon, let's get back to the, the topic of images. So I'm reading from the Alpha and Omega Bible in Exodus 20, verse 2. It says, I am Jesus, putting God's real name back into the scriptures. I am Jesus, your Theos, which just is a Greek word for God. It's not a pagan word. It's just a Greek word for God, Theos. I am Jesus, your Theos, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. I'm the only God. There's not two. There's not three. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4. You shall not make to yourself an idol, nor a likeness of anything, whatever things are in the heaven above, or whatever things in the earth beneath, and whatever are in the waters under the earth. Waters under the earth just means water 
under the water. It just means fish, whales, sharks, shrimp, anything. We're not, according to this, but now hear me out. Hear me out. Don't jump to conclusions, okay? We're going to examine in the scriptures, is this still intact? And how accomplishing is this? Is it truly a strict ban against all images or only if you worship them? You know, we're going to study this out, so don't jump to a conclusion yet. But nevertheless, at first appearance, as we read it, it says that we're not to make any image. Now, it says idol nor likeness or image of anything. So it says here, if we go only by this one verse so far, it says don't make to yourself an idol or an image of anything. So this would be including not just idols. Because most people would say it's only talking about only if you are worshiping them. Maybe it does, but let's, let's just take it one step at a time. At first appearance, it does look as it is a forbidding of both the idol and the non-idol. An idol nor a likeness, an idol nor an image of anything, even in the sea, even in the ocean, because that is fish and everything. Did you know that? In Nineveh, when Jonah went to Nineveh, when the, the whale swallowed Jonah and then spit him out after three days and three nights, you know he would have told people about that. You know, you know, you know, you know, if you think about it, that not only would have Jonah told the people of Nineveh that God told him they're going to be destroyed in 40 days, you know that not only did he tell them that, but he would have also told them, I just came from the belly of a well. I was running from God. And God sent a well which swallowed me, and I was in there three days and three nights. He spit me out, and I came and finished the job to tell you what God told me. You know he would have told the whole story. I mean, who wasn't? How can, how can you... How can you preach and evangelize and not tell what just happened to you? It is human nature to tell the whole story. Amen. And when he told them about a giant fish that would have swallowed him up and then spit him out, guess what one of the main gods, pagan gods, that the Nineveh people believed in was the fish god. So for them to hear that a giant fish had swallowed him, and he lived inside the belly of that fish for three days, three nights, and then came out alive, these pagan people that believed in a fish god would be more likely to believe well, he said that God was going to destroy them if they don't repent. Or actually, he didn't even say, if you don't repent. He just said, God's going to destroy you. God's going to destroy you in 40 days. But 
But these were pagans. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe in the true God. But God knew what they did believe in. And God knew that if he sent this whale after Jonah, that that would go to helping the Nineveh people believe, even though it was in a false god. Now, of course, of course, God did not want to have the people believing in that fish god. He didn't want that. Of course he didn't. But nevertheless, he also knew what it would take to save the people. He knew what it would take. He knew that the people would be more willing to believe his prophet if he used what the people already believed in. That's very interesting, isn't it? Nevertheless, that is the way that it happened. And so it says here that we're not to have images of anything that's in the waters. So God would not want the Nineveh people to have images of the fish, of the whale, or anything else in the waters. He would not want them to do that. And neither does he want us to do that. It's very interesting also if you look up the history of the Catholic Pope, of the hat that he wears is, is only the remnant of what's left of a very agent outfit that the Pope used to wear. It used to be an entire costume of a fish that the Pope used to wear because of the same Assyrian Nineveh God. And, and then they took away part of the costume and left only with the head part. And you can research that for yourself. Now let's continue in verse 5. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I am Jesus your Theos, the Almighty Alpha, am jealous, repaying the sins of the dads upon the children to the third and fourth generation to them that hate. So what you do and what you teach your children affects the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. If you teach your children that there are three gods, then they're going to teach that their children, and then they're going to teach their children, and it's passed down, the fairy tales, the false gods, and everything else. It's passed down to each generation. Amen. Now, if we want to understand this and truly, truly, truly understand this, we also must compare it with another place that talks about the same thing. So let's go to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Compare verse upon verse, here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept, searching the scriptures diligently so that we know that we don't get a misinterpretation or a misunderstanding. Deuteronomy chapter 4. starting in verse 
Deuteronomy 4, verse 15. Praise Jesus. Verse 15 says, And take heed to your hearts, for you saw no similitude or likeness in the day in which Jesus spoke to you in hired, I can't pronounce that, you know what I'm saying, Mount Sinai, in the mountain out of the midst of the fire, lest you transgress and make to yourselves a carved or graven image, any kind of figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast of those that are on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird which flies under heaven. And by the way, in the Assyrians, Nineveh, not only did they have the fish god, but also the bird god. And Nineveh and the Assyrians are actually more known for the bird symbol and the bird god, more, even more than the fish god. Verse 18, the likeness of any reptile or any creeping thing which creeps upon the earth, the likeness of any fish of those that are in the waters under the earth, and lest, having looked up to the sky, and having seen the sun and the moon and the stars and all the heavenly bodies, that you should go astray and worship them and serve them, with Jesus your Theos has distributed to all the nations under heaven. But Theos took you and led you forth out of the land of Egypt, which we also read in Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments. That's how he starts out the Ten Commandments. I led you out. Of Egypt. So that's referring back to the Ten Commandments. He's saying, I'm the one that delivered you. I'm the one that saved you. I'm the one that brought you out of bondage. I'm the one that brought you out of Babylon. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that brought you out of the bondage to the false gods, the slavery of the Egyptians who had all these false gods. I'm the one that delivered you from all of that. I am God. I'm the only God, is what he's saying by reminding them that he is the one that delivered them. Amen. Now let's go back to verse 15. It says, take heed to your hearts, or be careful, basically. Be cautious. Take heed, be careful about it to your heart, your heart. This is a matter of the heart, and a lot of people will use that excuse, but they use that all the time. It's one of the most popular excuses for every sin under heaven. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. I hear that all the time. Uh, if I hear it one more time, I'll probably start having nightmares about it. It's a matter of the heart. At the greatest excuse under heaven. But, you know, it is true that it, it is a matter of the heart what you do because God sees your heart, and if you are sinning, especially sinning, sinning willfully, and as a matter of the heart, he sees your heart for what it really is. You think that your heart is good and acceptable, but it's your heart, meaning your will, and not God's will and not God's heart. The Bible says the heart of man is wicked. What the scripture says so if you think that you should follow your own heart, that is not what Scripture tells you to do. Scripture tells you to, to follow his heart. 
his will, not your own heart. So it is a, it is a matter of the heart, but not the way that people think. He sees your heart. He sees that you're following your own heart. You're following your own will. Amen. So take heed. Be careful about your heart. What is telling us here? For you saw no similitude in the day which Jesus spoke to you. So when the Ten Commandments was given, it wasn't Moses reading off the tablets. Moses was not standing there in front of the people pointing to the Ten Commandments saying, this is what God said. No, but rather, rather, most people don't even know this, it was God himself that spoke the Ten Commandments directly to the people. And that is why the Ten Commandments cannot be called the Law of Moses. God himself wrote it with his finger into the stone not Moses, but God wrote it. It is not the law of Moses. When we read this about the graven images, this is not the law of Moses. This is God's law, written by his own finger and spoke by his own voice. And it says when he spoke to you out of the mountain that you didn't see any image of him. He did not show himself. And the reason he did not show himself, even though they heard his voice out loud, he did not reveal to him those people any shape or form or image of himself. Why? So that they would not copy that image. So that they would not go to a stone and try to make a copy of what they just saw. Because God knew they would do that. Amen. And they would. So he did not appear to them. Now, if they had made a copy of what they had saw, if, if they had saw him and made a, a picture of him, what would be wrong with that? It would not be a picture of a false god. It would be a picture or image of what they actually would have saw of the true God. So what would be wrong with it? In the human mind, in the human reasoning, nothing would be wrong with it since it's not an idol of a false God. It's just a memory. Like taking a picture of your husband or child. It's just taking a picture of your true, true God. What would be wrong with it? In human reasoning, Human reasoning. There would be nothing wrong with it. But the Bible says that his and mine is not our mind, that his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, but his ways are higher than our way. We should not use our wrongful heart or wrongful reasoning or human reasoning but rather use his reasoning and see things in his eyes. Amen. He knew that if he allowed the people to see a shape or form an image of himself and they would have copied it, it would have been an avalanche. And it would have been the next picture, and the next picture, and the next picture, and the next picture, the next image, and the next image. And before you know it, they would be drawing pictures and images of uh, 
false gods. He wanted to prevent the future idolatry that would have came out of the hearts and imaginations of man if they had got it started drawing of images of God. It would not have been wrong for the first image. It would not be wrong for the first image since it was truly of God and not an idol and not false worship and not pagan. But he knew it would be a start, an avalanche, that man would not be able to control himself, that he would continue and continue and continue and continue and never stop. And that's the truth, and you know it. Amen. And we need to remember that because it can help us to understand why, at first glance, it is forbidding all images, not just idols, because a true image of the true God would not have been an idol, but it was still forbidden. And he did not appear to them because he knew they would make a true picture of him, which would not have been a sin, but would have been a foundation for sin. And he forbid it everything, all images, in that day and in that time to that group of people. Because that group of people were very, very wicked. They had been in Egypt all their lives, born in Egypt under slavery. The Egyptians had brainwashed them into worshiping the false gods. And their brains and their minds and their soul was captive to Egypt, and they even wanted, many of them wanted to go back to Egypt, even after seeing the miracles of God, seeing the, the Red Sea split, and even after hearing the voice of God and seeing the whole mountain smoke with fire and smoke and trembling and earthquake, and even though they were, they were fearful and they said, God, don't speak to us no more, but send your word only through your prophet, because we're scared to death of you. They didn't know him as daddy. They didn't know him as Abba, father, daddy, love, kinsman, redeemer. They didn't know him like that. No, they didn't. And they were stiff-necked and rebellious and wicked, sinful and carnal. Yes, these people would have took that one image of the true God and changed it and transformed it and add on to it. And then the next image and the next image, you know it. Amen. He had to forbid all images to these wicked people who one day would hear the voice of God out loud and then the next day make a molding image to a cow. Not exactly the next day, but soon thereafter. That's pretty rebellious. That's pretty wicked. What if you saw the earth shake and the mountain smoke, hear the voice of God out loud coming out of the sky above the mountain, would you make a, a golden calf a few days later? You know what? 
used to, I would think that's pretty ridiculous to think that anybody today would be that wicked, that foolish, that stupid, to see such a great miracle and then turn against God only days later. Have you ever thought about that and thought, how stupid could those people be? I mean, how ridiculous. Surely that wouldn't happen today. You know what? I learned a month or two ago that recently I learned that people, humanity, in this day and time are no different at all. And they forget just as quickly, and they are just as stupid and just as wicked. And that's the God to honest truth. I saw it with my own eyes. I am a witness upon this earth for the wickedness of mankind and how easily someone can forget the miracles of God and turn their back against God and forsake him and his holy name and go and worship idols and false gods and worship men and demons after seeing the power of God. I've seen it, witnessed it with my own eyes. People today are just as wicked and should be under the same magnitude of extreme law because of the wickedness of the people upon this earth today. I lie not. God is my witness. Amen. But bear with me. Bear with me for some more scriptures and some grace. Now, before we go any farther, we need to talk about the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. Because this is very, very important. And this is very much missing in a lot of groups and denominations today. Let's turn now to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. This is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. I've got a lot of favorite chapters, but this is, this is one of the very best, one of my very favorite Romans chapter 8, talking about the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. What is that? What does it mean? Why is it important to the subject of the second commandment? Romans 8, verse 1, God willing, we'll go down through verse 17. Verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the verdict of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, Theos did, sending his own son in the image 
of sinful flesh as an offering for sin to condemn sin in the flesh so that the ordinances of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who are according to the spirit the things of the spirit your mind is set on verse 6 for the mindset on the flesh is death but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward theos for it does not subject itself to the law of theos for it's not even able to do so now let's pause right there because that's powerful and mind-blowing Verse 7, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward Theos, for it does not subject itself to the law of Theos. Now we're going to finish reading this, but first of all, we've got to think about this, because most people would read these same verses and jump to a conclusion which is programmed into their religious thinking that all these verses mean that the spirit of the law means we no longer have to keep the law most people would read these verses and say we don't have to keep the seventh day the holy days we can do anything we want to do we don't have to keep the law the law is done away with it's gone so it don't matter what day we worship we can pick a day all these things are what most people assume and have been programmed taught to believe but this verse is mind-boggling because it says basically that the sinner, the lost person who has his mind on the flesh, does not subject himself to the law of God. The sinner refuses to keep the law of God. But yet most people would interpret all of Romans and all of the New Testament to say we don't have to subject ourselves to the law of God, thereby making you a sinner. Did you know that the Bible gives the definition of sin? And most people say, well, sin is this, sin is that, sin is this, sin is that, but they never give you the definition from the Bible. And I'm kind of forget exactly the verse number but you can look it up that the Bible says that sin is I think it might be 1 John chapter 1 or chapter 2 or chapter 3 back there in the book of 1 John or 2 John or 3 John somewhere back there that sin is the transgression of the law sin is the transgression of the law Where transgression means breaking, not obeying, breaking the law. Sin is transgression. Sin is breaking the law. That is what sin is, breaking the law. So if you say that there is no law, then you must also say that there is no sin and it's impossible to sin, which means nobody would ever be judged by God for sin because there's no such thing as sin and nobody would ever 
be punished for sin or judged for sin, and there would be no lake of fire, because why would how, how could God sentence you if it's impossible to break the law because there's no law. It doesn't make sense. But yet, Baptist Church, Pentecostal Church, Catholic Church, many churches would say there is no law. Sin is breaking the law. And here in Romans 8, verse 7 says that these people who have the mind on the flesh, who are carnal-minded people, not spiritually-minded people, not saved, not with the Spirit of God in them, but fleshly, carnal, sinful people, they refuse to keep the law. They would not subject themselves to the law. Sounds like to me the majority of the world. Satan has deceived the whole world. Amen. There has to be some law. There's got to be some law. The only question is which law is still intact and which law is not intact. That's that's the real question. But to say that there is no law is the most ridiculous and totally ignorant of the Bible. If you say there is no law, you are totally, totally ignorant of the Bible. But even Paul said the law is good and holy. Even Paul said that. Even Paul said in the last of Romans 8. Jump to that verse real quick. Romans 8 verse, no, Romans 7, I mean. Romans 7, verse 25. Romans 7, verse 25. Thanks be to Theos through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I am myself with my mind and serving the law of Theos. But on the other, left the flesh, the law of sin. So he was torn between the spiritual man of God and his fleshly sinful self. He's confessing his sins. He's confessing that he is uh, torn between sinning and not sinning like all of us are, if we admit it. Amen. Paul said he kept the law of God. So how can you say there's no law? And yet all these same churches that say there is no law says you must, must come to church on Sunday. And it can't be Saturday. It has to be Sunday. And when they say that, they're making a law while telling you there is no law. They say you don't have to keep Saturday because there's no law. You don't have to keep Saturday because that law is done away with. But you have to keep Sunday, they say, as if there is a new law which I cannot find in the Bible. Where is that law? Thou must come Sunday. Thou must keep Sunday. Thou must rest Sunday. Thou must rest first day of the week. Thou must go to church on Sunday. Where is that written? Where is that law? Who made that law? Who made that law? Have you ever looked into that? Have you ever asked yourself that? It's not in the Bible. Who made that law? You must. Keep Christmas. You must keep Easter. You must do this. You must do this. Where in the Bible does it say any of these things? This is a new commandment. You must observe the birthday of Christ, and if you don't do so, then you are not a Christian. Where is that written? You might believe that. You may have been taught that all of your life, heard it from everybody you know, but where is it written? 
But you say, but I know, but I know, but I know. Where, where is it written? That's what I want. I don't want your opinion. I don't know. I don't want your mommy and daddy's fairy tales of what they have taught you. And I don't care what your pastor has taught you or what your pastor said. So many people have said, but my pastor says, but my pastor says, or my mom says, or my dad says, I don't care. Show me the verse. They can't do it. But I can definitely read in the Bible where it says to observe the seventh day, even in the New Testament. So let's get back here to chapter 8, verse 8, chapter 8, verse 8, and those who are in the flesh cannot please those. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of theos dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Verse 10, if Christ, if, 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 if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to the mortal bodies, to your mortal bodies, mortal bodies, underline that word mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12, so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if the spirit, if by the spirit you are putting to death the works of the body, you will live. What is the works of the body? Well, in the context of the last verse of Romans 7, it is sin, which is the transgression of the law. A lot of people say the works of the body is keeping the law. That's what most people would tell you. But these same people, they don't understand that in the original scriptures, there was no chapter divisions. Where chapter 7 ends today in our English Bibles and other uh, languages, where Romans 7 ends today, in the original scriptures, it did not end. Romans 8 and Romans 7 and Romans 1, 2, 3, all the different chapters had absolutely no division between the different chapters. And you would have just kept reading and kept reading and kept reading rather than stopping at chapter 7, last verse. So in the context of what Paul said, that with his mind he serves the law of God, but with his body he's serving the law of sin, in that context, the works of the body, the works of the flesh, the works of the carnalness of us, is transgression of law. It's not it's not the keeping of the law that is the works of the body because the body is carnal against God and, and, and hostile toward God. Ain't that what the Bible said? Amen? Well, people don't like this, do they? Two people hung up. Two people that's been listening hung up. 
They don't like the truth. They don't like the truth. They're so programmed, so brainwashed that they refuse to listen to the truth any farther than this because they refuse to believe that God has a law, that we must obey him, that we can't just do anything we want to do. So they hang up. Very sad, isn't it? It's very, 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 very sad. And that's why the whole world has the mentality and motto of, it's my life, I'll do what I want to do. Because they follow their own wicked heart and do anything they want to do. They do not want to subject themselves to the law of God. Even though Paul did. Amen. Or perhaps they just got to go watch a football game, which is just as bad to put sports or worldly things or job or money or something else, something else before God, put things before God, just as bad. Amen. Now, verse 14, for all who are led by the spirit of Theos, these are the sons of Theos. 15, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, which means Daddy, Father. The Spirit itself testifies of our spirit that we are the children of Theos. That's why we can call him Daddy. And if children, hires also, hires of Theos, fellow hires with Christ, if indeed, if, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Amen. Now, to sum up what we have read, we have to go by the Spirit. We have to go by the Spirit and not just the flesh. And this is what we mean between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. If you go by the letter of the law, we read in black and white print that everything, all images are banned. Everything. All images of your family, your husband, your wife, your children, uh, everything that lives, ever breathing, ever living creature, ever animal, pet, loved one, uh, news, weather, TV, all of it's banned. That's what we read in black and white by the letter. That's by the letter. But I want you to understand the spirit of the law and what that means. The spirit of the law means that we consider the spiritual reason of why God did that, commanded that. What is the reason? What is the spiritual reason? God is spirit, and he thinks as spirit. He performs as a spirit, so that is what he is. Amen. He has a spiritual reason why he did ban all images in that day and in that time and for those people. 
And the reason for that, his spiritual reason, is he knew that those people would take the first image and then never stop and continue to draw them, continue to draw, and eventually draw the pagan drawings and everything, and it would never stop. It would never end. That is why. He did it in order to, or commanded it, in order to prevent what is wrong, even though it would not have been wrong to draw the first picture, the picture of the true God. But knowing the heart of man, knowing the wickedness of mankind, he had to ban all things to these people who were lost. Okay? Now, I'm going to give you an example that is going to help you understand more. Let's look at the book of Luke, and then I'm going to explain some more. Don't start tearing up the pictures yet, because I'm going to also tell you why you can have some pictures here in a minute. Just bear with me. So don't start going through your house right here, right now, tearing up all the pictures yet, okay? Wait until the sermon is completely done before you start doing that. Luke 14. Luke 14. Go there. Luke 14, verse 26. Luke 14, verse 26. Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and is not willing to, if and when necessary, forsake his own dad and mom and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now that says very clearly that we must be willing to, if necessary, to forsake anybody, husbands, wives, even though it don't say the word husband, it says the word wife, but we know by the spirit of the law that that would include husbands. This is what I, what I mean by spirit versus letter. If we say the letter of the law, then we say that you must be willing to forsake your dad and your mom and your wife and your children and your brothers and your sisters and even yourself, but not be willing to forsake husband. If we read it by only the letter and say it doesn't say husband, therefore it can't mean husband. And if it means that you cannot ever forsake no woman, if it, if, 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 if it means, that no woman on this entire earth could ever, ever forsake her husband, then that would put the husbands as God. That would put husbands on the equal level as God himself. Because only God is the one that you can never forsake. Only God is the one that you can never, ever, ever forsake. Only God. Husbands 
are no different than the dad. Isn't isn't a dad a husband? Amen. Isn't a husband also a dad? Usually, most of the time. So in the spirit of what it's teaching, yes, it does include husbands, even though it doesn't say that. So when we talk about spirit of the law, we understand that it doesn't have to say it in black and white in order to mean it. We don't have to have everything written down for us because we are spiritually thinking, spiritually minded. And as spirit people, we are thinking things through and we are understanding things. And we do understand that it does include husbands and even cousins and even uncles and aunts and cousins and neighbors. It, it, it's talking about everyone. It's talking about everybody on the earth, that you must be willing to forsake anyone, anyone. There is no exception to that. You must be willing to forsake anyone in order to follow God, if necessary, if, if that's what it takes. That is the spirit of this law, of this commandment, okay? So that's what we mean between letter of the law and spirit of the law, is that it doesn't have to say it. We know what it means. Now, if you think about the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is you must honor your father and your mother, right? And that's a command of God, honor your father and your mother. It's one of the Ten Commandments, just like the graven images is one of the Ten Commandments, okay? And yet, even though the Ten Commandments command you to honor your parents, here in the book of Luke, Jesus says, and this is Jesus talking in the book of Luke, Jesus says you must be willing to forsake your parents. That would be opposite of honoring them. Think about that, because the Bible, the Ten Commandments, says you must honor your parents, and yet Jesus, who is the same person, the same God, who spoke the Ten Commandments, same, same person, same spirit, same God, who said you must honor your parents, also said you must be willing to never talk to them again. You must be willing to ignore them. You must be willing to, guess what? Stop honoring them. You must be willing to forsake them. Not answer the phone. Not answer the door. You must be willing that if your mama and your daddy come knocking on your door, that you would not even answer the door. Shun them. Forsake them. That's pretty amazing. But is it the will of God that everybody does that? 
Of course not. It's only if it's necessary. If your parents or your husband or your wife or even your children, if anyone is standing in your way preventing you from serving God, that is the context. That is what it's talking about. Only if it is necessary to obey God. That you put God first rather than your husband's commands, rather than your children's commands. You put God first. This is what it's talking about. God is first. That's the first commandment. That is the highest commandment that there is, is you shall have no other gods. And your children and your husband and your wife and your family and your friends and your sister and your brother, they do not come first before God. God comes first. Amen? God comes first. That is the first commandment, and that, that, there's a reason why that is the first commandment. It's the most important commandment. Amen? So everything else is less than the first. First is the most important. You must be willing, must be willing to forsake the parents if necessary. So the spirit of the law in the Ten Commandments, when it says honoring your parents, to honor your parents, when it commands you to honor your parents, the reason it says to honor your parents is because God does want your parents to be good. God does want your parents to be godly. God wants your parents to know the truth, accept the truth, believe the truth, and even teach you the truth. That's what God's will is. God's will is that your parents be people who believe the truth, know the truth, and even share the truth with you and walk in agreement with you in the congregation of truth and his spirit. Amen. That's God's will. That's what he wants. And in that ideal world, in the ideal world, in, in, in God's mind of what the world really should be like, everyone would be in agreement. Everybody would be in agreement. Your parents, your husband, your wife, your children, brothers, sisters, neighbors, everybody would agree. And in that case, you can live in peace and, and be in agreement and not fuss and not fight and not argue and not have to forsake people. And in that situation where if you did have believing parents, you should honor them. And there should be peace and unity in the family. And that's God's will. That's God's perfect will. That's the way it should be. And that's why he commanded you to honor your parents. And it is the respectful way. It is the way of honor. It is the way of respect. And it is the way of love to honor your parents. But we don't live in the perfect world. We live in a wicked world. We live in a world where our parents could be Satan worshipers. We live in a world where Satan has deceived the whole world, and our parents could be Muslims, atheists, Satan worshipers, Buddhists, uh, anything, 
It could be anything. If we was born in India, then our parents may have been Hindu. If we was born in Iran, our parents may be Muslim, and so forth, different regions of the world. And what if you was born in one of those regions and your parents was a different religion, a pagan religion, a heathen religion that does not accept Jesus as God? Does God expect you to always and forever, always honor your parents? No. Because you must be willing to forsake your parents and anyone. You must be willing to forsake anybody that it takes to forsake if they stand in your way or if they, or even if they reject the truth that you share with them. Not only if they stand in your way of obeying God, but also if you share the truth with them and they reject it. The Bible is clear on that also. Jesus himself said about his own mom and his own brother. They came looking for him, wanted to talk to him, and they were good people. His mom, Mary, was it, she was a holy woman. She was a good woman. She was a righteous woman. But when she came to visit him and wanted to talk to him, what did he say to the disciples? He said to them that, who is my mom? Who is my brother? Except it is those people who do the will of my Father in heaven. That is what Jesus said. My mom and my brother is the people who do the will of the Father. So in other words, he was saying that if your mom or your brother or your dad or your friend or your child or whoever, anybody, if they do not do the will of God, if they reject God's will, if they reject God's commandments, if they reject the truth, they are not your parents. And if they are not your parents or your friend or your brother or your children, they are not, then how can you honor your parents? They're not your parents. In the flesh, they might still be your parents. But in the spirit, they are not your family anymore. You have a new family. Amen. AJ and Meekness and Seth and Charda and Sajina and Kiki, Jonathan, Nicholas, this is your new family. Amen. If your parents or your family rejects the truth after the truth has been shared with them and they're given that opportunity and they reject it, they are not your parents according to what Jesus said. My mom, my brother, is the ones who do the will of God. If they are doing Christmas and Easter, 
if they believe in Trinity, if they believe in all the false doctrines of the world, and they're not keeping the seventh day and they're not keeping the holy days, and they've been told the truth, if they have heard the truth, if you share the truth with them, and they trampled it underfoot, they treated it like trash, they rejected the word of God, they are not your family. And if they are not your family, if they are not your parents, in the eyes of God anymore, they are not your parents, then you are no longer under the obligation to honor your parents. You are not under the commandment to honor your parents because they are not your parents, spiritually speaking. And we read in Romans 8 that we are not in the flesh, but we are in the spirit if the Spirit of God dwells in us. So we don't walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. So we need to be spiritually thinking about who our spirit family is and putting priority upon our spirit family and our spiritual birth. We should no longer observe the physical birthday of when we were born in the flesh, if we are born in the spirit. Amen. If we, have, if we have been baptized in the truth, that, that date of our baptism is our new birthday. And we are no longer the person that we were born in the flesh. So we should not observe that physical birthday anymore for the rest of our life. That, that physical birthday is destroyed. That physical birthday does not exist for us anymore because we are not the same person that was born in the flesh. We are born again. We are born again Christians. We are given a new spirit, a new heart, a new mind, and we have a new family and a new birthday. Amen. And we're not under the obligation to honor our parents in the flesh if they reject the word of our father, our real father, our daddy, Abba, Abba, father. If they reject his word, we reject them. If they are his enemies, they are our enemies. Amen. We have to be spiritually thinking. We have to be spiritual people. Amen. Now let's go to the book of Numbers, which is in volume number one, the law. Go back to the book of law, volume number one. The book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 21. Let's go back to talking about images. Numbers 21. This is page 169 in my copy, but it might be a page or two different in your copy. Page 169 is where it is in my copy. Numbers 21. Numbers chapter 21, verse 8. Numbers 21, verse 8. 
And Moses prayed to Jesus for the people. And Jesus said to Moses, make you a serpent. A graven image is what it's talking about. Carve out a snake. And put it on a signal staff, a pole. And it shall come to pass that whenever a serpent shall bite a man, everyone so bitten that looks upon it shall live. So God, Jesus, instructed Moses to make a graven image of a living creature. Now, usually, it would be forbidden to make any image of anything. But God told Moses, make this image. Make an image of a snake and put it up on a pole so that when people are bitten by a snake, that they look upon the pole, they look at the snake up on the pole, the graven image that you make, and they will be healed. And the reason for that is that the people had sinned and God sent snakes biting the people as a punishment for their sins. And the reason that God told Moses to make this image of a snake and put it up on the pole, and that when people look at it, they will be healed, the reason for that is that it was a symbol and a foreshadowing of the fact that the punishment is crucified. In other words, the snakes was the punishment for the people's sins. What is our punishment? If we sin and we don't repent and we don't get saved, we're going to die in the lake of fire. What saves us from dying in the lake of fire. If we repent, it is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we accept his sacrifice and we accept the salvation and we repent and we're baptized and we keep his commandments, so forth. So the pole represented the cross. Now the snake does not represent Jesus. No, that would not make sense. But the snake represents the punishment, the lake of fire. In their case, the punishment was snakes biting the people. That was their punishment. So the snake on the cross represents the punishment on the cross. And that's why God instructed it. It was a foreshadowing of us being saved from the lake of fire, but these people being saved from the punishment of snakes. Now, if, if Moses had done that of his own choice, it probably would have been a sin, but God commanded him to do this. Okay? Now, I'm going to show you another example of where God commanded people to make an image. Let's go to the book of Exodus in this same book of law, same volume, Exodus chapter 26, Exodus 26.
page 108 is what it is in my copy. Page 108, Exodus chapter 26, verse 1. Chapter 26, verse 1. And you shall make the tabernacle in curtains of fine linen spun, and blue and purple and scarlet spun with cherubs, and you shall make them with a work of a weaver. Now these cherubs is something like angels. It is a creation. It is living creatures that live in heaven. Okay? It is either angels or a different species. We'll get into that in a future sermon about what the cherubs really are. But they are at least like angels, if they're maybe even might be angels. Most people would say they are angels, but I'm starting to think that they are actually a different, distinct creature. But like I said, we'll get into that sometime in the future in a different sermon. But what we do know is that these are living creatures, spirits that live in heaven. Now, God is instructing them that in the tabernacle, which was like a church building that was a tent, it was a pre-model of the temple, he instructed Moses and the people to make a graven image of these living creatures, these cherubs. Okay? But here again, not only with the pole and the serpent, but also with these cherubs, God commanded Moses to make these graven images. So there are exceptions to the law. And the fact is, the truth is, that there are exceptions to almost everything, almost every law, every commandment, there are some exceptions. Another exception would be that in the law of Moses, God said that the Hebrew Israelite men were not supposed to marry Gentile women. But yet, Moses did marry the Ethiopian woman from Ethiopia, who was a Gentile woman. Moses married her. But Moses wrote that God said, don't marry Gentile women. But Moses did that. And God did not condemn him for it. He was not wrong. He did not sin. His brother and his sister both condemned Moses for it and spoke against Moses for marrying the Ethiopian Gentile woman. His brother and sister both spoke against Moses for this. And what did God do? He punished not Moses, but his brother and sister. So we have to be careful about judging people for who they date and who they have sex with and who they marry. You have to be careful about that because that is their personal life. And we don't know 
who God wants them to marry. We don't know. We don't know who God wants someone to marry. We've got to be careful about judging people about that. Because we do have that example where Aaron and the sister of Moses both thought that Moses had sinned. It looked like he had sinned, but God did not punish Moses for it. He punished the brother and sister for speaking against Moses. And then look at Samson in the same situation that the law of Moses had said that a Hebrew man could not have sex with or marry the Gentile women. But Samson had sex with many, many, many different Gentile women, and God never, ever, ever condemned Samson for doing that. In fact, the Bible even says that it was God's will for him to do that, that God wanted him to be with the Gentile women and the Philistinian, Palestinian women, including Deborah. Most pastors and most churches condemn Samson and judge Samson wrongfully and say that Samson was in sin with all these women and was in sin with Deliah. But they are wrong. And they are just like Aaron and Moses' sister, blabbing their mouth about things that they don't know nothing about. Samson was not wrong with what he did. The Bible says it was God's will. So again, we have to be careful about judging about people's relationships in their private life and get out of their business about what they do in bed. What they do in bed between man and women is none of your business. None of your business. Keep your mouth shut. Now, if it's homosexuality, then that is our business because we know that the Bible does forbid homosexuality. But when it's between men and women, we need to just keep our mouth shut about what they do in the privacy of their bedroom. Amen. So there are exceptions to the law. God said you should not have any graven images of anything. And yet he told Moses to make graven images. More than once he told Moses to make images. There are exceptions to the law. And we have to, again, understand what is the spiritual reason, what is the spirit of the law. The reason he told people don't make any images of any living creature is so that people will not eventually have idols, idols that they would worship of false gods. When God told Moses, make this serpent on the pole, that was not an idol. It was a graven image, but it was not an idol, and it was not sin. And no one worshipped it. Nobody worshipped it. The Bible does not say they worshipped the idol on top of the pole. No, it was not an idol, and they did not worship it. It was sent by God. It was not sinful. It was not an idol. And when he told him to make the cherubs, the graven images of the cherubs in the temple or in the tabernacle, 
again, it was not sin, and it was not breaking the law, even though the law said don't do it. It was not breaking the law because God commanded it. Amen. Now, let's go to the book of the New Testament. Let's go back to the New Testament. Let's go to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. One Timothy, chapter one, page two oh nine. Page two oh nine in the New Testament. One Timothy, chapter one. One Timothy one, verse eight. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8. 1 Timothy 1 verse 8, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who murder their dads or moms, for murderers, for immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and what ever else is contrary to sound teaching. Now this is an amazing verse, amazing verse. The law is not made for a righteous person, but for the sinners. In other words, what it's saying is, the reason that there is law is to keep people in control to keep wicked people under control, to protect the citizens, to protect people from getting killed, to protect people from having everything that they own stolen from them, to keep law in order, to prevent chaos in the world, to prevent darkness and evil and wickedness and hatred. The purpose of the law is to maintain law and order and decency and goodness in the world. But these laws were created in order to control the wicked. They were not created to control the righteous. Now, this does not mean that we can break the law because it says that the law is made for the sinners, and why is a sinner? A sinner is a person that breaks the law. And notice it says it's made for the murderers. Who is a murderer? 
a person who breaks the Ten Commandments, who murders people. That's one of the Ten Commandments, that shall not murder. Look how it says uh, it is for perjurers. What is a perjurer? A perjurer is a person that breaks the Ten Commandments where it says thou shall not bear false witness. When you are in a court and you bear false witness and you say that you saw something, you say a certain person did something, but it's a lie and they did not do it and you did not see them do it and you're lying, you're committing perjury and you're breaking that particular Ten Commandments. So it, it, it does refer back to more than one of the Ten Commandments and says basically in different words that even the Ten Commandments was made for the purpose of keeping wicked people under control. It's not made for the righteous, but for the sinners, for the wicked. It does not mean that we can just go out and murder people. It does not mean that there is no law. It does not mean that law is done away with. The law was created for this purpose, and the law still remains for this purpose. It's still intact. The reason I bring this up is because I want you to understand when it comes to the subject of images, God made that law because he knew that wicked people would abuse images, would take the first good image that was not really sinful of the true image of God and then go to something that was sinful and many more images that would be sinful. So the purpose of the second commandment, the spirit of the law of the second commandment is that we should not have images that we worship Images that are harmful to us, we should not have them. We should not have any image of any shape, of any kind, whether it's graven or not, whether it's on print or computer or film or movie or TV or statue, if it is harmful to us or if it is harmful to someone else, when they see it, then we are not to have it. That is the spirit. That is the reason. That is the spiritual reason, the spiritual principle is to protect us and to control the wicked. So when you look at a science book, if your children go to school and they bring home school books and it has images of the human body about medicine, about biology, about how the human body, how, how the heart works, how the brain works, how the kidneys work, liver, lungs, and they have images of people in that book, this does not break the spirit of the law. Even though it breaks the letter of the law that says that all images are banned, it does not break the spirit of the law. And it is the spirit of the law that we must go by, not the letter of the law, but the spirit. Okay? Because there is a verse, I was trying to find it in Romans, I have to look it up again and send it to everybody later. But there's a verse in the Bible that says that the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. 
And so that one kind of really brings it to life right there. That if we go by the letter of the law and and not have any images at all of, of, of our family, of science, of biology, uh, it, it would be only going by the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is to forbid idols. When you have a science book that is teaching you how your brain works, that is not an idol, and it is not breaking his will. It's okay for us to learn about how the human body works. That does not harm anyone. That does not bring evil into the world. That does not bring darkness or wickedness or sin into the world to learn how our body works. And if you have a picture of your children or picture your husband or your wife or your friends or your pastor or your brothers or your sisters, that does not break the law of God in the spirit. It does not, it's not going against his will. It is not an idol. It does not bring sin into the world. It does not bring darkness into the world. It does not harm anyone. And so what I'm teaching today is, even though the letter of the law bans all images, the spirit of the law does not ban all images because God told Moses to make images. So there are exceptions to almost everything. And we have to realize that, that there are exceptions. The Bible may say this, but God does make exceptions. And he makes exceptions for things that are not harmful. It was not harmful to put the cherubs as a graven image in the temple. It was not harmful to have the serpent on the pole. It was not harmful. Therefore, it was okay. I know that there has been many, many times when God used images to teach me things and to confirm things to me. Uh, sometimes later in the evening, on the seventh day after we have the sermon and after we lay down and rest a little bit and eat, uh, later in the evening, uh, quite often I like to watch some internet, TV, some videos, uh, a Christian movie. And very, very, very often in the past, there has been many, many times, many times, when the movie that I watch that evening after the sermon will perfectly match with what I just taught in the sermon without me even knowing what the movie was about. I would pick a movie not knowing really what was in the movie, and it would be quoting the exact same verse in the movie that I used in the sermon, or be talking about the same thing, or confirming the sermon and confirming what I had taught that day. That has happened over 
and over and over and over and over and over and over. That is not coincidence. That is not coincidence when you have movie after movie after movie after movie after movie that is confirming what I teach that day. That's God. And yet some people would say, but the Bible says you cannot have any images of anything in heaven or on earth. But if I did not watch that movie, it would not confirm to me what I had, what I had just taught. And that's very important for God to confirm to me that what I had just taught is correct so that I will not second-guess myself, so that I will not uh, have any second-guesses or doubt about what the truth is. I need to be confident as a pastor. So he confirms things to me, and that's important to him, and that's important to me. Amen. And there has been times when not only did he confirm something that I already told, but there has also been times when he used movies to teach me things that I did, did not even know yet. And he would put into my heart what movie to watch, and I would watch it, and it would teach me something that I did not even know yet. And it would be the first seed of truth for that particular topic. And then he would lead me from there into the scripture and reveal something to me, reveal things to me that I had never known before. And if I had not watched the movie, I would not have known it. God has used movies, not only not only Christian movies, but even movies that are non-Christian that I have watched, that he used to teach me with. So that would not be a sin for me to watch those Christian movies, and even movies that are not Christian. It would not be a sin for me to watch it when God himself is putting it into my heart, into my mind, that this is the movie I need to watch. Amen. And other times, uh, God would reveal something to me, and then he would confirm it through a, even a cartoon in a, uh, a comic, like the comic strip in the newspapers and the comic strip that they put on the Internet. Even through that, that kind of an image, a different type of image he would use to confirm the truth to me more than once like that. And there's been many examples, many examples throughout the years where God did use images of people to teach me things and to confirm things to me. So I know that even though the letter of the law says we are not to have any images of anything in heaven or in earth, I know that the spirit of the law says really, actually, that's really only for the wicked. That's really only a law for lost people, for wicked people who can't tell the difference between good and bad, good and evil. They can't tell the difference between an idol and something that's not an idol. They don't have the discernment. They don't have the spirit of God. So for a lost person, which is everybody in the world, 
who has not accepted the truth yet, for your cousins, for your neighbors, for your family that has not yet accepted the truth, yes, to those people. To those people. All images, all images are banned. All images are forbidden to the lost. For this verse, in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1 says that the law is made for the wicked, for the lawless, for the sinners. That's everybody you know, except for the people in this congregation. So for almost everybody in this world, yes, it is forbidden, all images. The reason for that is because they can't tell right from wrong, and therefore everything is forbidden. That is what God did at Mount Sinai. He made that law for those people who were sinners. He made that law for those wicked, rebellious, stubborn, stiff-necked people that did forsake him. That is what that law, the commandment of graven images, is for. It is not for us. Although, even for us, even for us, we should not have idols. So the law does still apply to us in that aspect, that the spirit of the law is that nobody should have idols. Nobody should have idols. No one, both them and us, everybody both good and bad, righteous and sinners, all of us, none of us should have sinners. I mean, none of us should have idols. That is the spirit of the law. For you and me, for the saved, we should not have idols, but we can have pictures of our family, friends, our vacation. We can have school books. We can watch a movie. This is for us. We don't have idols but we can have other images as long as they are not an idol, as long as they do not bring harm, as long as they are not sinful images. But for people outside the congregation, for the stubborn, for the wicked, for the lawless, for the murderers, for the swindlers, for the perjurers, for people who reject his law, all images are forbidden. That is the way it works. That is the summary of the way it works. Now, if you go to the website, I Saw the Light Ministries, and look for the Graven Images article, you can go to the bottom of any page on the website and use the search box on the bottom of the page, on any page on the website, look for the search box, and type into that search box, Graven Images. And then the, the search results will give you a list of the pages, every page on the website that has that word graven images. And, and one of those links will be the main article about graven images. So look for the main article about graven images. And a direct link to that is isawthelightministries.com slash gravenimages. .html. So you could just type it in, go to it directly by going to isawthelightministries.com slash graven images, all small letters, graven images, no space, .html. Now on that page I have edited 
I have uh, um, improved it and edited it and given it more explanation and more Bible verses. So that was completed just last night. So sometime after services today, if you want to, or tomorrow, you can go and review and read again and actually start right from the beginning. That would be the best way to do it. Start right at the top of the article and read slowly all the way down every word, every verse, and to get the entire explanation, all the verses related to it. And in that list, you will see some of these and more, okay? This is only a partial list that I'm going to give you right now. But there's a bigger, more detailed list on the website. But here's a brief list of forbidden, forbidden images for everybody, both the lost and the saved. Because idols are wrong for all of us. Whether we're lost or saved, we should not have an idol. Amen? So forbidden for everybody would be horror movies, of course. Amen? A Christian should not be watching a horror movie. How can any Christian, how can anyone who claims to be holy, who claims to be a saint, who claims to be saved, who claims to have the Holy Spirit of God, who claims to represent holiness and righteousness, how can such a person who claims to be saved enjoy images of murder? How can you enjoy images of murder and claim you're going to heaven? It doesn't make any sense. It is darkness. It is wickedness. It's an insanity, I tell you. Horror movies are of the devil. They are not of God. Of course, pornography and idols of movie stars and famous singers. Idols. I'm talking about you should not have a poster of a movie star or a singer up on your wall because there's a difference between just uh, honoring someone or just liking somebody's music or just liking uh, their TV show. There's a difference between just liking a movie character and idolizing them. And when you take a poster of that person and put it on your wall, you are idolizing that person. I don't care whether you agree or disagree. This is the truth, and I'm going to state the truth. You're idolizing them when you put their picture on the wall. It don't matter who they are. Okay? Basically, movie stars, singers, fam famous, famous people, you have to be... You have to examine yourself. And I really do encourage people to really, really, really think about these things. Even if you disagree with me, take time to think it out, to examine yourself deeply. Test yourself and, and examine yourself. When you put that image of a person on the wall, you are idolizing them if you will be honest with yourself. And all Disney movies, you may say, what's wrong with a Disney movie? It's just a cartoon. It's just, it's just imagination for the kids. It's fun. It's harmless. Do your research because Walt Disney, who founded the Disney company, 
decades ago, he was a Satanist. He was a Satanist. And there is documented proof that he implanted into his movies, into his characters, and into his cartoons, sublineal, sexual, and demonic images. And this is proven. You can look it up on YouTube, talking the word Disney Satanic. And look at all the results and examine these videos carefully that give you the proof of the satanic imagery that are in these cartoons. And it did not change when he died because, you know, of course he founded that company and the people who worked for them, he would have hired other Satan worshipers and passed it down to other Satan worshipers to this very day. In fact, children go missing at Walt Disney World every year Children who are never, ever, ever found ever again. They go missing from Disney World every year. And there's a reason for that. And it's not just people visiting the park kidnapping these children, but rather it is people who are working for Disney World, Disneyland, that are kidnapping these children. And I would really recommend that you uh, abstain from all of Disney movies, as well as Pokemon, Pokemon, whatever he's called, which is nothing but an image of a demon, Japanese Amine. If you have the spirit of God in you and you watch Japanese Amine, there should be some red flags in the spirit of God, some alarm bells. The spirit of God will give you discernment this is not right. There's something evil, something dark about that Japanese amine, every bit of it, absolutely every bit of it. That Japanese amine, there is a dark, evil, demonic spirit in that stuff. If you don't believe me, I ask you, I beg you to fast. I beg you to fast. Seek God. Ask him. Don't go by your own reasoning or your own carnal eyes or your own carnal spirit. Seek God, ask him, and ask him to open your eyes and give you a greater sense of spiritual discernment. And of course, molten images of dogs, cats, turtles, wolves, unicorns, roosters, horses, birds, any animal or person in a molten fashion a graven fashion, a carved fashion. I'm talking about statues. I'm talking about little whatnots, toys that are in the shape of humans, toys in the shape of animals, statues in the shape of animals, statues in the shape of humans or God or Jesus or angels, uh, stuffed animals, uh, any of these things that have a 3D uh, carved, graven uh, feature to it. Because any time that you take an image and not just view it on the screen and not just view it in a book or a page, but you actually take it into an actual shape, you're going beyond just having an image. You are making an image that you are trying to bring it to life. You are idolizing it. 
Why do people collect things? It's because they idolize it. If you collect uh, roosters and you put roosters all over your house, you are idolizing the roosters. If you put turtles or dogs or cats all over your wall, it is because you are idolizing that animal. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's stop, stop lying to ourselves and be honest with ourselves. If you are multiplying your house full of one creature, whether it be unicorn or turtle or wolf or whatever your favorite animal is, and you, you've got these things in a, a 3D, a grave in a molten shape, it is because you are idolizing that. You should not need anything more than just a picture of a magazine or something. That should be sufficient. Why take it into the next step, next form of a lifelike form? Why would you do that unless you're idolizing it? You do not have to literally bow down to something in order to idolize it. Many people idolize their boyfriend or their girlfriend or their husband or their wife or their friend or a movie star, but you don't actually bow down to those people. You don't have to bow down to something in order to idolize it or worship it. You don't even have to know that you're idolizing it or worshiping it, but it can still be true that you are doing that subconsciously. And it is time that people examine themselves deeply and get out all the leavening, get out, get out all the leavening, all the leavening, deep down inside, search deeply. Amen. The Word of God, the Bible says the Word of God is sharp, sharper than a two-edged sword, even casting, uh, casting asunder, even cutting into the heart. We need to allow the Word of God and the commandments and God's Spirit penetrate us, penetrate our brain, our mind, our soul, and test us about our idolatry. Amen. Now, I have given a brief list of forbidden items, but now I will give a brief list of acceptable items, acceptable images. There's nothing wrong with having a picture of yourself and your family on the beach, a vacation, you go somewhere, or you go to the park or something, and you, it's, it's a moment that you want to remember to take a picture of someone you love and, and, and keep that. There's nothing wrong with that. That does not break the spirit of the law of why he did ban the images. It does not break the spirit of the law. But I would recommend that you not put those pictures on your wall. I would recommend taking those pictures and putting them in a photo album or in a um, drawer somewhere so that you can just look at them twice a year, once a year, something like that. When family come over or friends come over, you can pull out the pictures and share the pictures. Or on a certain day of the year, you know, you can say, well, I'd like to look at those pictures and pull those pictures out. I would recommend doing it like that rather than putting all these pictures of your family on the wall 
order to safeguard your heart. Because a lot, a lot of people do idolize their family. People will, lots of people would rather forsake Jesus rather than to forsake their family, which proves that they will idolize their family. There are plenty of men and women who would completely disobey God, stop worshiping God, leave the church, forsake the truth, forsake the scriptures in order to please their boyfriend or their girlfriend or their husband or their wife. There are tons of these people. So I know for a fact that tons of people idolize people in their life. So to safeguard your heart, don't put the pictures on the wall. It would be more safe for your heart, more safe for your soul, to just put those pictures only in the drawer. You can still look at them every now and then, but when you look at them every day, they can become idols to your heart. For school books, most school books are teaching you about history, teaching you about Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, science, biology, whatever, or uh, geography. They are just simply teaching you things that you need, that your children need to learn. This is not breaking the spirit of God. It is not idolatry. It is not bringing darkness into the world. It is not harming anyone. And therefore, these images are okay as long as they are not deceiving your children into a false religion and so forth. Evangelism tracks, it's okay to put, like, maybe on an evangelism, a gospel track, put a picture of a person reading the Bible. There's nothing wrong with putting a picture of a person reading the Bible on a gospel track in order to decorate it and to help people to be attracted to the gospel tract so that they will read it. And when we share on Facebook, when we share on the Internet, uh, the ministry website, or a news article, and a picture comes up when you share it on Facebook, Twitter, wherever, a picture comes up, you might see a picture of a person, a preacher, this or this, whatever, or, uh, or even a President Trump, if you're sharing a news article, this is not idolatry. It does not break the spirit of the law. And nobody is idolatrizing these things uh, for the most part, although there are a lot of people that worship Trump and they need to stop. And there's a lot of people that worship Obama and they need to stop. Amen. So for those people, they are committing idolatry and they are breaking the second commandment when a lot of people on Facebook and Twitter and so forth, they are posting images, drawings of Trump like a Superman or like God or something. And this is not proof that he's the Antichrist, for that is such a foolish, ridiculous conspiracy theory, Trump the Antichrist. Come on, grow up, read the Bible, get some discernment to you. Come on now. But there are people that are idolizing Trump as God, even though they're not worshiping him as God, even though he's not the Antichrist, 
But there are people that should not have any images of Trump. Again, the purpose of the second commandment, the spiritual reason, the spiritual principle of why God did ban and forbid all images is because the law was made for the lawless. The law was made for the wicked, the sinners, the murderers, the swindlers, the perjurers, according to 1 Timothy 1. So for those people, the laws, they should not have any images. Those people that think Trump is the Antichrist, they have no discernment. They have no spirit of God. And they should not have pictures of anybody or anything, not even their husband, not even their children, because they have no ability to worship God in truth, for they are so lost, programmed, brainwashed, deceived, and foolish that they have no ability to keep the law of God or to do right, to do good. They're just totally lost. And those people, the full letter of the law applies. Full letter of the law applies to those wicked, those lost, those people that walk in the carnal flesh. But for the people in the spirit, for the people who are truly saved and truly have discernment and wisdom from God above, we can have some images that even we must heed, be careful, guard our heart, examine ourselves deeply, 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 and be careful what images that we have so that we do not be led astray. Amen. And you can see the more complete list of both forbidden and acceptable and all the scriptures I have shared with you today and more on the article about graven images on the website at I Saw the Light Ministries. I saw the light ministries.com. And for this particular article, you can go directly direct to that link at I saw the light ministries.com slash graven images, all small letters, no space, slash graven images.html. Or you can just go to the website, I saw the light ministries.com. And look for the search box on the bottom of the page and type in the search box, Graven Images, and then that will give you some search results that will lead you to the direct article again. Well, this concludes today's message, and I do want to say congratulations to Sister Sharda in Australia that was baptized into Jesus Christ last night. Praise Jesus for another person that was baptized into Jesus. According to the book of Galatians and Romans, we are baptized into Jesus. There is no verse in the entire Bible that says that you are prayed into Jesus. But rather, the Bible says more than once that we are baptized into Jesus. Contrary to everything you've been taught, contrary to everything you might already think you believe and know, I'd rather believe what the Bible says rather than what some ignorant pastor or some denomination has taught me. I would rather believe the scriptures. And I really encourage you 
to read this article that will give you many, many more scriptures than what I have shared with you today. Examine these things daily. Examine the scriptures daily to see if these things be true and examine yourself deeply and allow the word of God to be sharper than a two-edged sword to even cut into that carnal flesh and that carnal mind and penetrate your soul to deliver you from the traditional doctrines that said you can do anything you want to do. I can have any image. I can do anything. I can watch horror movies. I can watch people cut me. Oh, sick and disgusting that Christians who say they are holy, who say they're going to heaven, will sit down and watch people cut themselves up and, and, and cut people to death into a million people, a million pieces, and then go to church and say, I'm saved, I'm a saint, I know what I'm talking about, and I believe the Bible. Bull crap. Get saved, people. Get saved. Amen? Well, Four people have gotten saved this month. Congratulations to uh, Brother Seth and his wife, Yannette, in the nation of Ethiopia, uh, Sister Fajina in Arizona, and her twin sister in Australia, Sharda. Four people this month. God is moving in amazing ways. He is moving, moving, moving in amazing ways for people around the world this month. God is amazing. He is working. He is calling people out of the false church. Amen. Come out of her, my people, and be not a partaker of her sins. Thank you for listening today, and I do invite you to listen again next week. We are here every Saturday and the sermon starts about 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Time, every Saturday. And if you miss it, it is saved automatically into the archives, and you can listen to it at any time at your convenience. Thank you for listening today. Please fast. Please pray. And please search yourself diligently and search, search for God with all of your soul, with all of your heart, all of your mind. In the name of Jesus, all of this, in Jesus' name, amen. This concludes today's message. This is brought to you by ISawTheLightMinistries.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.